0: Okay, takers and acres, we've just ridden over, both of us in fact, because Inez Tullock stepping in today to, um, at the moment, Karina will come bursting in shortly, but Inez, you will filling in for the timing, we've both ridden here this morning. Uh, I was saying to you though, I had a terrible bike ride this morning over here, because, um, well, the problem was I got here so bloody early. Because everything, anything that could go right went right kind of oh. here this morning. Every traffic light went green as I got there. It was just shocking. Whoa. And yes, no delays, That's whatever. That's a dream. Yeah, a dream, a nightmare. And uh, here I am. Here we are. <laughs> I'm Kevin Healy. And uh, we expect, we to, we'll, 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 we'll say it probably Kevin, to turn up shortly. And... Uh, so we'll um we'll push on. We are gonna to, uh, today being a fourth Wednesday, we've got a fifth one next week too, we're to think about what's gonna go on that. But this week we've got two guests who uh who have been on before, both quite regulars and both people I think who um bring something to the programme. We've got Julia Stockard from West Save Westernport because of this proposal by, we know, a Japanese company to use brown coal. To, um, to produce hydrogen and then ship it off to Japan, and they're pushing the government pretty strongly at the moment for more concessions. And, uh, of course, the, 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 they're, they're saying the brown coal will be clean because they're going to put their head in the sand, bury their head in the sand, and bury it somewhere, but that, of course, is a technology that is not proven, and there's um, massive opposition locally. But to my knowledge, there's not yet been an environment effects um, study done into it, which seems to me to be you know, remiss. The last one, of course, the last threat there—a a, a program to uh, also set up a gas production plant—it uh, was at least had the EES, and the EES ruled against it, which was one of the surprises of this world. And our second guest is Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation, the anti-nuclear campaign, because so much has been in the news lately. Of course, with the film coming out about Oppenheimer, we recently had the 78th anniversaries of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And there's massive pushes at the moment to uh, bring bring nuclear energy into Australia. And so while we thought two or three years ago that nuclear energy was dead and shot in the water, it's been resurrected very heavily, and Dave's going to talk about those issues. There's also a relationship, and I'll raise it with Dave, the, the coup in Niger, in the background somewhere, could well be uranium as well, because it's the biggest export, of course, and... Um, so we'll um, we'll talk about that one as well. But anyway, that's today's program. That's it. That's it. We'll go, and we're going to go to uh, Julia fairly shortly because uh, they're both going to be interviews that take a bit of time, and so we'll give them a bit of time. That's seems the way to do it. I'm going to pour myself a cup. Of, do you want a cup of tea? Oh, yes, look heres Karina's Car- <laughs> just burst in the studio, and Ezra'll burst out and think, "Thank God, I can get out of here." Thank you, uh, <laughs> We just said you'll come bursting in shortly, and in you came just as I was pouring the tea. It's wonderful, isn't it? Timing. I Thanks. couldn't be
2: inconsistent now, could Thanks,
0: I? Thanks, Inez. <laughs> you couldn't. There you are. Thanks, Kevin. I, I said to Inez off air, um, the last thing Karina said to me, he said, I'll see you bright and early right in the morning, here. but it's a, de- it's a question of one's definition of bright and early, of course, that we have to think about. Oh, that's uh, right. Exactly. How are you, Karina? Really Good. Good. Good, Excellent. Did you ride a bike over as well?
2: Yes, I'm huffing and puffing. <laughs> ah,
0: good. I was just saying, everything met right. I got here far too early. Um, <laughs> anyway, look, we're going to go to our first guest very shortly, but I did want to mention that because there's been there was a move at the ALP conference and uh, and, out, and also external to it by unions to um, particularly the C the the construction union seat. C- double f c f m e u they put the double m in still but um, to have union representation on the reserve bank board saying that it needs to be more representative. I mean, it, some years ago in the Hawke era, of course, with the Accord, Bill Kelty, the ACTU secretary, was on the Reserve Bank board, but I think that wasn't much help to workers, unfortunately. Um, but we, we can get a decent, a good worker on there, and some were representing there, it would be bloody good. But, of course, you get the usual backlash. And um, Angus Taylor, the, the shadow treasurer, who used to, of course, um, go in for coal and things... He says, this will be a test of Jim Chalmers and Anthony Albanese's leadership. Will they bend to the pressure of their union paymasters <laughs> or do the right thing and preserve the independence of our key economic institutions? So independence means if the, if the big end of town, if, the, if, the, if big business people are on these boards, then it's independent. Put a worker on and it loses its independence.
3: Union
2: overlords. That's right.
0: That's right. Oh, it's shocking, isn't it? Isn't it shocking? The, the other news this week that um, is not necessarily unrelated to all that, of course, um, is there's going to be the Victorian Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission is, is launching an investigation into uh, claims and it's had complaints that the police, in fact, encouraged the neo Nazis at that let women speak rally in March, and that uh, we know there 's been several occasions where it, there are signs that the police and the Nazi groups, the neo nazis uh, tend to work very closely together, and they 're now going to hold an inquiry into that because of uh, on that day they say the police did nothing to stop them and in fact encouraged them, etc so there's, uh, some more could come out of that, I would think, as well. Um, so or perhaps
2: that, just mm-hmm. a nod to it before everybody can move on and, and do it again. You know, well, that's a couple right, of, the months the later. The next
0: rally, it's not going to stop. Them. Yeah, that's right. right? <laughs> it's pointed out that way back when Christine Nixon was um, was the commissioner of police. She that was in two thousand and eight. She ordered police to report all racially or religiously motivated incidents and determine uh, any offences that may have been committed, and it undertook to hold provisions in the Racial and Religious Tolerance Act and Equal Opportunity Act, but of course it's done none of those things. And uh, I imagine, well, you're right, if they, the report will come out and they'll just go on doing what they do anyway. Let's get down to Hastings Way and see what's happening with uh, Julia Stockton and Save Western Port after this break. Mm-hmm.
4: Wheel, spin and spin and the big wheel turn around and around. Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel turn around and around. Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel, turn around, round. Little wheel, spin and spin, big wheel, turn around and around. Merry Christmas jingle bells, Christ is born and the devil's in hell. Hearts they shrink, pockets swell, everybody know and nobody tell. Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel, turn around, round. Around and around, all oh, the sins of Caesar's men cry the pious citizens. Petty thief, the five and tens, and the big wheel turn around, round little wheel spin and spin. Big wheel turn around and around, little wheel spin and spin. Big wheel turn around and around. Blame the angels, blame the fates, blame the Jews or your sister Kate. Teach your children who to hate, and the big wheel. Turn around, round. Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel, turn around, round. Little wheel, spin and spin, big wheel, turn around and around. Turn your back on weeds you've hold, silly sinful sins you've sold. And you straw to the camel's load. Pray like hell when the world explodes. Little wheel, spin and spin, big wheel, turn around and around. Little wheel, spin and spin, big wheel, turn around and around. Swing your girl, fiddly say later on. On the piper pay, Do do swing and sway, Dead will dance on judgment day. Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel turn around and around, Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel turn around and around, Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel turn around and around, Little wheel spin and spin, big wheel turn around. And around. Spin big, wheel, round, round. Big wheel, spin, spin big wheel turn round, round little wheels spin and spin big wheel turn around round little spin spin big wheel turn around on spin
2: and spin big wheel turn around You're listening to city limits on 3CR community radio that was little wheels spin and spin by um the wonderful buffy st marie And we've got Julia Stockett from uh, Westernport on the
0: line. How are you going this morning, Julia?
3: Good morning, Karina. Yeah, I'm well, thanks. How are you?
0: Good, thanks. And, of course, there's a a Japanese company um, attempting, as we've mentioned to you before, Julia, attempting currently to have a new plan for for Westernport, this time to bring brown coal in from the Latrobe Valley, um, turn it into hydrogen, Ship it off to Japan, and then they say it will be neutral or CO two neutral because they're going to bury their heads in the sand or bury the CO two somewhere under under the ground somewhere out at sea. Um, how's it all going?
3: Well, this, this plan's been around since 2018, so there's been a big. There was a test a uh, project which we opposed strongly down here because you know the the plan itself is is um, is pretty sketchy. The, the whole the whole project would produce hydrogen for Japan, which want, you know, they want to decarbonise their energy and their economy and good on them. But um, I don't think the way to do that is to burn fossil fuels over here in Australia and uh, ship all the, the clean, what they're calling clean, sustainable hydrogen back to Japan. It's just preposterous.
0: Yeah, well, of course, brown coal, I mean, there were, there were levels of hydrogen which actually start with green but work their way down the colours, but the very worst of all is made from brown coal, and that's the one they're going to do.
3: Yeah, that's what they want to do. I think it, um, you know, there's been some, um, some interest in Victoria from the Victorian government, small amount of interest, at, at, and I, I think it's, you know, not, uh, you know, it's less now than it was before, but there's always been, you know... Uh, a wish for the from certain, you know, quarters for for the uh for the coal mining uh industry to, to keep going in the the Trove Valley, but it stays unnumbered because the coal down there is too it's it's called a lignite. It's a um brown coal which is very uh very burns very dirty and it's, it has very a lot more emissions than even black coal. So they have trouble selling it. They can't export it because it's too um, flammable to even transport. So, um, yeah. So the the um, the wish is to, to keep uh, a market for this for this very dirty coal. Um, but we don't think that. Um, well, hydrogen is a is a potential clean fuel for the future. But you can you can make it from water, and it can be done using uh, electricity, which is fully. Um, Produced for using renewable energy, so uh, to use uh, coal, to burn coal, gas supplying coal, um, you know, with, with all the significant emissions that are produced doesn't sound like the way to go to us, yeah.
0: And mm. apart from the, the obvious with CO2 and the emissions, uh, what other impacts is it likely to have on that fragile environment around, um, around Western Port?
3: We just don't know really. I mean there's been there hasn't been a lot of um a lot of uh you know, information about that. Um we know that the um they would they they would like to produce the hydrogen in uh the Latrobe Valley so they would um have a a uh, a gasification plant down there. Um and then they want to build a hundred and fifty kilometre pipeline through you know, some of Victoria's most productive food-growing land and also wetlands and significant, you know, ecological areas up to Western Port Bay um, and uh, to bring the hydrogen gas to to Western Port. There it would be... um, They want to build a liquefaction plant, which was like a storage depot, which would store it at pressure... Um, in the midst of a couple of other major hazard facilities because there's SO there, there's Blue Scope, uh, United Petroleum. So there's a few um, major hazard facilities there and hydrogen is a highly explosive fuel. So we've seen none, none of the safety reports or anything like that. Um, but um, but then the, the hydrogen would be uh, transferred to a ship and shipped uh, out to Japan. And the thing that we were... Very concerned about was that um, during the 90s, the 1990s, um, the marine pest, the invasive marine pest, uh, Northern Pacific Sea Star was introduced into Port Phillip Bay on the wood chip ships that came uh, from Japan. They would empty their ballast water in Port Phillip Bay and that introduced the um, Northern Pacific Sea Star which ended up um, colonising the whole of Port Phillip Bay and has really decimated the marine ecology there. Western Port Bay um, naturally has about three three times as many, you know, um, listed and just, you know, a large variety of marine species. It's a very rich ecological area and it doesn't have marine pests and we were very concerned that that would be a risk because apparently the waters, in in Japanese waters, are very similar temperature to here, so they, they really would make the... The ideal sort of um, you know uh, area for them to colonize so there's that 's been a concern um, we raised that with um, with uh, the consortium the Japanese consortium behind the the shipping trial because they they, um, they ran a pilot and and had a ship that came out in a small scale ship and um, it, we we actually did some um, we got a grant that, say, Western Port and Western Port Peninsula Protection Council got a grant to do some uh, base-level um, marine studies so that we could make sure that... We could prove that there's no uh, Northern Pacific sea star in Western Port now, so if there were any changes to that, if the project did go ahead, uh, we would have that, um, you know, that base-level studies to go on. But, you know, the, the pilot uh, finished last year... And the uh, test ship that, um, that that took one load of hydrogen back to Japan after three years and 100 million dollars from Australian governments and 400 million from the Japanese government, uh, one test load of hydrogen went back to Japan, and I think they had to purchase over half of it from an alternative source. They couldn't uh, fill that that uh, ship. And it also caught on fire, the ship. There was a fire on board the ship when it was um, in the Port of Hastings. So that was an emergency incident that was... Um, it was not reported locally or anywhere, actually, but it was a, a major um, safety incident that the Australian Transport and Safety Bureau had an investigation into. So we've got we've now got the report from that, but we've got no report about the pilot project... Um, the hydrogen energy supply chain we've asked them for the pilot report so we can look into you know how much emissions were produced during the pilot how much hydrogen was produced and those sorts of things but um we've been unable to um they, they've uh, got something on their website which um, they claim is the pilot report but it just says the whole thing was a marvelous success and doesn't really give us any
0: information. We it's were, obviously um, working a treat, uh, Julie, yeah. Um, <laughs> apart from the fire and the fact they couldn't get enough. Um, <laughs> but um, a bloke called um, Yuko Fukuma, who's from the company pushing it, um, and he with a mob called Suizo Energy as well, he's out here at the moment pushing it. He's here to get the thing going, he says, but he also calls for more support from both the Commonwealth and Victorian governments. So... Where do the government stand on these things?
3: Well, that's uh, Foucault, um That's a she, actually. Um, so um, the woman that is here from the Hydrogen Energy Supply. Oh, it's State. a she, is it? I'm sorry, yes, it's a she. yes. No, right. that's, that's yes. Yeah, so, so, um, yeah. It's, oh, it's UK,
0: interesting.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because we we're, um, we're we're taking it as a good sign that the, the Victorian government has been silent on this because. We know that Lily D'Ambrosio is very opposed to um, burning fossil fuels. She, she has said that the project is a risk. And um, Premier Andrews also said um, that, uh, you know, carbon capture and storage is untested. So they're not, they're not uh, big fans of the project. Um, but the Japanese government is putting a huge pressure on the Victorian government and now the the federal government as well, to get behind this project. You know, we're all going to be left behind, apparently, if we don't start burning coal again. Um, I mean, I think there should be support for for hydrogen, um, but not from coal. But, um, but, yeah, there is certainly a lot of pressure. I mean, we, after the pilot um, finished last year the test project, and it wasn't a great success, we... um, we wouldn't hear much more about this, so, but in March this year, there were suddenly all, all these um, articles in the Age and the Australian Financial Review saying that $2.3 billion was available for this commercial stage. They were escalating the project to its commercial stage beyond the pilot, and there was all this money available for the project. And um, we there was a lot of confusion because, you know, we didn't expect to see that, but also... Um, we wanted some clarification from the Government because I think they were caught what bit by surprise the Japanese government made lot, uh, put out a big press release with their intentions plowing ahead with the commercial phase of this project um without um without a lot of um, consultation, except I think that the um industry minister tim Pallas he's he's a big fan of this project in the Victorian government and he had been over to Japan and, and given them some sort of um, you know sign that this that there would be support but certainly there has not been support within the um and there hasn't been wide level support and I think that's very clear, you know, in that um that article that you just referred to where, where Foucault is, is really putting it, you know, ramping up the pressure basically saying, you know, come on, get a you know, get some support behind this because um because, you know, uh they need to go through the, the environmental processes if they want to go ahead but um but I don't think there's a lot of um I don't think there's a lot of support for this project. Um and we're hoping that um we're hoping that the Japanese government will be sensitive to that, sensitive to the pushback and read the signs that the Australian people do not want this project, the Victorian people do not want this project. And most of all, uh, Port Bay, which is Ramsar-listed wetland, is not the place for this um, shipping uh, for shipping hydrogen to Japan. And uh, so, next Wednesday on the 30th of uh, August, um, Ellen Sandell from the Greens and Friends of the Earth Save Westernport, we're having a um, a protest on the steps of Parliament at 8.30 in the morning on the 30th of August to let the government know, the Victorian government, just to reaffirm to them which they already know that this project has no uh, social licence, it has no community support and no industry support uh, locally, and most of all to send a strong message to to the Japanese government that it's not wanted here and and they really should um, look at at, uh, renewable hydrogen. That's where the future is.
0: So 8.30 next, um, next Wednesday. People can go along, take their radios with them, of course, and listen to, three, listen to City Limits halfway through Absolutely. the rally. we um, uh, can give it a shout-out. <laughs> we and can we'll indeed. But that's, we'll certainly promote that. That's next next week. And, but you did mention environmental processes, Julia, and um, we're talking to Julia Stockard from, say, Western Port, and... Uh, um, the previous threat you had, which was a floating gas production plant, was knocked back surprisingly in fact after an environment effects study but um is there going to you know is, is there a study planned for this or or was it going to go ahead
3: well i think um I think there's not you know the the consortium behind this um this project and the uh the local mm. proponents of it j power um we we were in a meeting with them at the port of hastings you know a, a community consultation meeting uh, about a month ago and they said that they intend to refer the hydrogen energy supply chain project for an eES which is environmental tax statement mm. um, assessment um but we we've heard nothing more about that so um you know the, the thing that is interesting is that there's the the land that they sort of had their eye on to to build the uh, liquefaction um, plant and the the shipping um, loading area for the hydrogen uh, because they've been looking at this since 2018. Um, that land has now been used uh, by the Victorian Renewable Energy Project, which is the offshore wind farm. So that's a huge project in Western Port Bay and that's um, that's on our minds this week too because just last week the Port of Hastings referred that for a an environmental effects statement with the Victorian government. So that will be, um, I suppose that will be, that will, uh, you know, all be considered next year. Um, which it, it is an, an enormous project because there, as you can imagine there's um, hundreds of turbines that will be put out in the Bass Strait and... Uh, the pylons and the turbines and all the um, infrastructure for that, um, they want to use a, an area of Western Port Bay near Esso um, in the Port of Hastings to to lay down all the equipment and all of the infrastructure and then have these enormous vessels come in and um, and take them out one by one uh to install invest rate. So that's going to take years. So that mm. is a huge project. So um, it's a bit of, a, so that the same area is sort of wanted by these, the hydrogen project and by the um, renewable wind farm project, but uh, the wind farms definitely got the jump on the hydrogen project, so yeah. that has been referred now for for environmental technical We'll, now, we'll,
0: we'll keep an eye on all of this then, yeah. and uh, we have to wind up, but the other factor, of course, in this is they're saying it's clean because they're going to bury the uh, CO2 somewhere, in, uh, that. but that, of course, as we know, is a totally unproven, um, unproven solution at this stage.
3: That's right, carbon capture and storage, storing uh, carbon emissions at pressure under straight, in that untested, you know, untested, uh, you know un- undeveloped pro- uh, process to sound so risky and certainly not the way to uh, to go with, um, with emissions. But I'll just say quickly that um, last week we-, we heard that the planning minister, Sonia Kilkenny, has put out a new planning um, amendment scheme saying that she is now responsible for all renewable hydrogen gas production and distribution. It makes her, as Minister for Planning, the responsible authority for all large-scale production of hydrogen gas. So uh, we're pleased to see that that's referring to renewable hydrogen, but we're seeking some clarification about that because it really takes the um, decisions away from Shire Councils. It means that local um, communities won't have the opportunity to have a say or to make submissions, which we did before. and. Um, and there's also she's also got the uh, she's the authority for land use and development of land for industry to manufacture hydrogen gas so um they're saying this is also that you know there will be certainty for investment and and um, regulatory processes in the future, but we just want to make sure that that really does refer to uh, renewable hydrogen only and that you know the way that that is defined is you know um, where renewable energy is used to convert water into hydrogen. Um, for use as the alternative fuel source, you know, hydrogen, which is a you know yeah. potential potential uh, energy source for the future, so um, it can be produced sustainably, and that's what we would support. We don't think that the hydrogen from coal is, is necessary. It's just been such a such a, um, a backward-looking process. So, yeah.
0: All right, Julian, look, thanks for your time. We'll keep an eye on all of this because it's, uh, it's not going to stop here, is it? <laughs> but uh, certainly but not. all the best and keep the struggle going. You're doing a damn good job so far at keeping all these things at bay, even though it's obviously taking a hell of a lot of your time.
3: Yeah, well, there's lots of eyes on Western Port. It's certainly a, 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 a you know, strategic port, but it's also a, an incredibly valuable uh, ecological wetland. So, we hope that people come out next uh, Wednesday, the 30th, 8:30 in the morning, and let the uh, governments in Japan and Victoria know that we don't want hydrogen from coal.
0: Terrific. All right. Well, good luck with that, and we'll uh, we'll keep putting it on 3CR as well. That that particular rally. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Okay. Kevin.
0: Thanks a lot, Julia. Julia Stockard there from West say, Western Port and. Um, well, all power to them. That's all I can say. And we'll take a break, come back, and we're going to be talking about uranium now and keep the, um, keep the, the, the cheery little program going. We'll, have, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about nuclear energy with uh, Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation. <laughs> The Seamage
1: Union and the Waterside Workers Federation took part in the longest boycott in Australian history after Fenerife took over in Chile. A democratically elected government was overthrown with the help of the United States.
3: There are many Chileans in Australia who suffered torture, imprisonment and who. Family members have been disappeared. We can't move forward as a society without healing these
2: past crimes. The Chilean community, in partnership with the AMWU's International Solidarity Initiative, is holding a commemorative event for the 50th anniversary of Chile's coup, September 11, the day that changed us forever. Join generations of Chilean refugees, exiles, and recent arrivals together with Australian unionists and activists in the solidarity movement for a night of testimonies, speakers, poetry and music on monday september 11 from 6 p.m. at solidarity hall at the victorian trades hall this event will be held in english and all are welcome to register search for chile 50 years on eventbrite.com.au chile 50 years of solidarity and struggle a 3cr supporter
0: Okay, on the line we do have Dave Sweeney, the anti-nuclear campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation and Dave, um, a fair bit happening the last few weeks around, uh, around, unfortunately, around Uranium, because none of it's good, I don't think, but uh, um, first we've had the Oppenheimer film um, come out and that's sort of, that's brought it into the the public arena and of course it coincided with the 78th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so Uh, It's brought them into the arena, but also it coincides with, of course, Australia getting locked into the the nuclear war age.
1: Yeah, good morning, Kevin. It's uh, been an extremely busy time of late. Um, And you're right, there's been um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki anniversaries, there's been Hollywood blockbuster films, there's been an ALP conference, there's AUKUS, there's Radioactive Waste, and there's the Coalition utterly... um, sort of abandoning any sort of responsible or reasoned position and leaping on nuclear energy as the key plank in their climate and energy platform. So no shortage of, uh, no shortage of uh, you
0: know... No, I've have you seen the... the film, by the way?
1: No, it's interesting. Uh, um, everyone always says, and, and 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 not unreasonably, you know, what do you think of? And I haven't got there yet. Partly I've been too flat chat busy and partly I've wanted to carve a little bit of space to just watch it and reflect rather than just be straight into... Dot points on it. The three being, uh, the
0: three hours puts me up. Okay, I sitting it, through a film. It is a it is a chunk, but you know that's a whole lot less
1: than you know half life of uh, the
0: material. <laughs> that's true. About. Karina Karina has seen it. <laughs> Karina, do your impression, very quickly.
2: Oh, it was reductive at best. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a one man battle against a commie obsessed government, ah. and didn't have any thought towards survivors or any of the, of the existing nuclear weaponry we have on the Earth now. Um, but um, what do you expect from Christopher Nolan, really?
0: Right. That, that sums it up. That's
1: pretty succinct and damning, and that's very <laughs> yeah, right? much on par, Karina. very much on par with a lot of the talk in ICANN and, and nuclear free circles here and internationally about it, um, you know, the focus on the white fella and the, and the techno dimensions rather than the human impacts. Mm. You know, with indigenous people downwinders, the Japanese victims, the Pacific, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, let alone where we are. But I'm also though, I must admit, a little bit a little bit glass half full. I know that I'm i I'm very aware I haven't seen a thing. I'm very aware of all those constraints and get it. But I also am very aware that there's a bunch of people that are talking about nuclear weapons. Like it mightn't be in a very you know, as we think is in fully informed or as we think is where that conversation needs to be. But you know, they could be talking a conversation about, you know, um Death Rally six, you know, about monster trucks in the desert and they're not they're talking about nuclear weapons, so that's something.
2: I appreciate your optimism, Dave, or, as always. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's not it's not completely unfounded. I haven't lost touch with reality, but I think a bit of optimism, a bit of hope and a bit of enthusiasm at the moment is a is a important antidote for this wave of like you know, you have no agency. You can do nothing. And by the way, all this stuff is going to happen, with, irrespective of your view. I think we we really need to sort of, every way possible, insert ourselves back in the debate.
0: Mm. Dave, on on that particular theme, uh, a story in The Age a couple of weeks ago, uh, China's military is becoming dangerously arrogant and is fueling the risk of war with the United States by refusing office to communicate with commanders in the Indo-Pacific, one of America's most senior military officials has warned. Lieutenant, or they say Lieutenant, Lieutenant General Stephen Sklenka Deputy Commander of the US Indo-Pacific Command said he feared that China would seek to establish a military base in Solomon Islands or another Pacific nation as it sought to dominate the region and he said that, Dave, with a totally straight face.
1: It's it's quite extraordinary, you know um, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Chinese government, I'm not an apologist for China, although every time you say something that's not virulently anti-Chinese you get called that. Um But, you know, if you look at the relative military build-up, the relative military spends, the size of arsenals, nuclear and conventional, the placement of bases, like China, I believe, has two bases outside uh, its territorial area. But, you know, given that some of that, like Tibet, is occupied country and disputed. But China's got two outside of China, however you define it. The US has hundreds, hundreds. And I'm not into a... So, you know... They, they said, they said sort of argument. I'm, I'm trying to just say we need to get this in proportion because at the recent ALP conference, there was um, Richard Miles, the Defence Minister, listing how many uh, warships China had in 20... Uh, ..rather, in 2000 and then in 2020 and then what it'd be like in 2040. But no comparison with what the US build-up was, which is dwarfs it, actually. And it's just this whole thing of, like, they're picking and choosing a narrative that supports you know, threat, tension, imminent threat to Australia. So, in order to be an imminent threat to a uh, deal with an imminent threat threat to Australia, we have to embrace like this increasingly enmeshed and increasingly uncritical um, U.S. military positioning.
0: In fact, um, there's a book re- published recently from America that reckons they've got 750 bases around the world. And I know Jan Bartlett from our Tuesday Hometime program here on 3CR reckons it's more than 800 around the world. And the recent uh, coup in Niger has highlighted the fact that there's a huge American base there.
1: Yeah, the tentacles of, of um, the American military empire and capacity are vast. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the discussion in Australia shouldn't be which, you know, you back uh, declining nuclear superpower or a rising nuclear superpower, the debate in Australia should be, what's our legitimate defence concerns? How do we best prepare for them? And how do we best, you know, commensurate to our size, our geographic position, etc., play a role that builds, um, you know, trust rather than tension? And we are so far from having that debate in this country. We're so far from uh, a sort of critical, thoughtful, considered um, discussion around what's legitimate, what's not, what's prudent, what's not in relation to the national defence of Australia. It's, it's just a, a cheer squad and a cheer squad underpinned by, oh, there'll be plenty of jobs in it.
0: And in last week's ALP conference, that debate could have been held and there's obviously a hell of a lot of dissent inside the ALP itself, but of course the usual sources at those conference conferences made sure it just didn't happen.
1: Oh, was, I was up there, Brisbane, last week, and it was a real exercise in, you know, machine management of an issue. Um, and you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people who are rusted on pretty true-believer Labor people, you know, the people that have been stumping up the branch meetings in drafty halls for years, that have been standing in the rain handing out how-to-vote cards, and they've finally got, like, a Labor government, federal Labor government, that is on paper left-dominated, um, and has taken us further and faster into uh, a whole range of things, um, particularly the AUKUS and US defence arrangements, than um, other governments have and than it was imaginable, really. And they're, they're really concerned. There's Labor Against War. There's a whole swag of the union movement that are concerned on the, either the traditional sort of pieces, union business perspective or else on a perspective that's perhaps a bit more enlightened self-interest. They're saying there's $380 billion public money that's going to be spent in the next 30-odd years, and we could do so much more. We could generate so much more jobs. We could do so many more skills, training, employment, opportunities, know, opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, and we could fund yeah. and realise all this social uh, programming, health education, in aged care, child care, in Indigenous disadvantage, all sorts of things... So there's a lot of angry people, there's a lot of questioning people, there's a lot of not-convinced people, but you wouldn't have really known that in the way that it was managed and in the cheer squad sort of um, uh, behaviour from, from the floor as the as debate. You know, they say debate, debate, fierce debate. It's three speakers with five minutes each, half of city limits. And, you know, um, 50% of them are not as smart. Um, and it's extraordinarily truncated and managed and delivered, and it did that. It delivered uh, uh, an endorsement of AUKUS, but it hasn't addressed the deep and continuing concerns that many have, including in Labor.
0: Yeah, and uh, I know, it's like sort of Pat Conroy and uh, Albanese himself, they call left, and yet they were the they were the biggest warmongers at the conference by the sound of it, along with Miles, of course. Well- Hello. Oh.
2: Let's see if we can get back on to Dave. Right.
1: We
3: have a right to be in public space, undertaking political activity. That is not something that people should be telling us that we can't do.
0: Multiple actions rolling over months and years and create huge sustained pressure of social change.
3: And what we're seeing around the country right now is increasing repression of protests.
1: Protest works.
0: That's why I think uh, we're seeing it criminalised all over the place. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. Ah, yes, the, the usual sources has got in the way, Dave, and interrupted us, but it was saying about how the left um, seemed to be mm-hmm. more to the right. In fact, I, on the mm-hmm. week that was, I made the point that having got the so-called numbers for the first time in years. The left used the numbers to make sure the right one as usual, but then again, can you tell the difference between left and right in the ALP anymore?
1: Well, it's interesting, before before we got dumped, um, I was just responding. You mentioned Pat Conroy, and I was saying his, his language was so intemperate at that conference, and yeah. I was surprised, I was surprised not by the content, but by the tone and the tenor of that debate, and I thought it would be like... Um, the parents explaining to the kids why the family dog had to be put down, you know? None of us want to do this, but it's in the best interest. Um, but instead, it was celebratory, and it was even quite a like Pat Conroy was saying, if you support peace, you'll support AUKUS. If you support human rights, you'll support AUKUS. He said those who support AUKUS are those from the tradition of Labor and Curtin, Curtin's Labor Party, and if you don't support AUKUS, well, you're running mates with Pig Eye and Bob Menzies. That's
0: right. He quoted Bob Menzies, yeah. He
1: quoted Bob <laughs> Menzies and he said appeaser. If you don't support AUKUS, you're an appeaser. And it was just extraordinary that that was a sort of tone. Like, they know this is a, um, they know this is a point of tension. They know there are legitimate concerns, And they're not just left-wing concerns. There's a lot of people who are concerned about the amount of money. There's a lot of people that are concerned about sovereignty issues and and deployment issues. There's a lot of people concerned about high-level radioactive waste, 100,000 years' worth of damage, and you want the Defence Department, the mob who couldn't handle fire extinguishers, to run it. So they're real concerns, and I don't think you set yourself up to address them in a credible way by belittling people or by making those sort of absurd statements, you know, using curtains to invoking curtain to pull a curtain over any scrutiny of Australia's biggest spend.
0: Uh, the last time you were on, you quoted 38 million a day for the term of the contract which we could spend on lots of other things. That it would be a little less lethal, I would have thought, on the nuclear subs. And an old, he's now in his 90s, but an old um, union secretary rang me the next day and said, did that bloke say 38 million? I said, yes. And he rang back an hour later. He said, I've done the calculations. He said, it's 37.8 million a day. So. There you are. Well, there you go. I stand, that's the spend. i stand
1: corrected, As an environmentalist, there you go. And you've broken the news. We exaggerate. <laughs> exactly. We,
0: we, yeah, but uh, But uh, it's a hell of a lot of money per day if you think about what you could do day by day with that sort of money on things we need in our society, Dave.
1: Oh, it's, it's incredible. You, you know, it's incredible. Like, you know, there's these there's these squabbles over small amounts of money and allocations. There's hand-wringing about can we rezone things to build more houses to address homelessness. You know, you're walking past people sleeping rough. There's There are so many things, queues for hospital, queues for aged care, child care, all that stuff, and we are just shoveling money. Like, it's worse than a waste. It'd be a waste if we weren't actually shoveling money to fuel risk and militarism and tension and ultimately war. Um, And it is extraordinary that this has happened without any public debate, Kevin, without any parliamentary scrutiny, without any independent review, cost-benefit analysis, anything... At all. Like, people are going on about, oh, my God, Andrew Daniel Andrews, is paying $350 million in sorry money for saying no to the Commonwealth game. This is 10 days sorry money, or to save the old union comrade, probably 11 or 12 days sorry money. And no-one's talking about that, and no-one's holding the federal government accountable, and no-one's saying you're shoveling money to discredited large consultancy for- firms to develop a radioactive waste management strategy. Like, honestly, everything... The more you look at AUKUS, the more it is an a, a absolute pot of contradiction, stupidity, waste and risk, and it really does need some serious attention. And that's not just like, boo, hiss, we don't like America. That's like serious attention to the domestic, regional and international implications of this move, none of which are positive. And to beat the chest and say there'll be twenty thousand jobs over forty years, and they may be union, um, is not good enough.
0: Well, also they got you know they they, you could there's so many areas where if you spent the thirty eight million other things you could create more many more jobs anyway. But also they're assuming, like, if they force people to join the union, they'll all get fined, I would think, uh, under the current laws. But that's another question. Um, but the one positive in the last couple of weeks is the government will not um, appeal the Kimber decision, which ruled against the um, nuclear waste dump there. And that was a positive, day. But then again, they're now talking, therefore, they're going to go to Woomera and plant it out there somewhere. Yes. But
1: let's take, let's take a minute on that one, because we've spoken over time on City Limits and on other shows on CR about that, that waste dump fight. but like you'd know, Kim, for 35 years, the federal government of whatever ilk has basically pursued the same strategy in relation to radioactive waste. Like, move it... 95% of it's at the Lucas Heights facility in Sydney. It's, it's secure there. Um... And the policy has been move it out of Sydney and put it somewhere in the bush. It's Sydney or the bush again, but just with a glow-in-the-dark dimension. And there has been fights, multiple fights, multiple sites through northern South Australia and the Northern Territory. For the last seven years, um, the federal eye has been on a, a region called Kimber, top of the Air Peninsula, a couple of hours' drive west of Port Augusta in South Australia. And there's been an aggressive project there. Matt Canavan... And Keith Pitt are the architects and drivers of it. Deeply flawed, highly curated a a, a consultation, you know, within air quotes, a consultation process that explicitly excluded Aboriginal traditional owners and native title holders. Um, And it it came a cropper because of a federal court action by the bungler uh, community, the traditional owners of the area. And in... um, in march they lodged federal court action in july the federal court said yeah we agree there was not a clear or um open evidence-based decision-making process the minister had apprehended bias in the decision making he didn't get a fair go what we set aside the minister's declaration of the kimber side and federal labor we really welcomed that that was good federal labor um didn't say anything for about a month and you know, it was hard to read whether they would appeal, whether they would repackage the idea and try and still proceed. And on the 10th of August, Resource Minister Madeleine King made a statement in the House just saying that we, we accept the decision, we won't appeal the decision, or we won't advance this planned facility at Kimber or at other sites, potential sites in that region. And um, we're sorry for the division that this project's caused, and we'll go back and we'll reconsider options from here. And that is a really important uh, win and a really important set of statements. And, you know, um, know, I've got to acknowledge that as a really significant step that Labor made. Um, And it's an absolute tribute to the bungalow traditional owners and to lots of people in South Australia and elsewhere that stood alongside and B-side. But, yeah, a really powerful win that hopefully will break that three-and-a-half decades of momentum about let's just get it in the bush, let's just put it on Aboriginal land somewhere out there away from away from the populated areas, which is not a radiological imperative at all, in fact, works against it, really. Mm. Um, and it's a great tribute to them, their tenacity, their guts, their also cohesion and capacity to take a federal court case, not cheap, not easy. Um, and yeah, so that's worth celebrating. Like the big challenge now, absolutely right, as ever, like you've picked it ahead, the next fight is what do we do with this stuff? What do we do with a rising high-level waste? Should we go ahead and purchase US, former US nuclear stuff? Like we haven't solved the issue, but hopefully we've circuit-breaking the issue and created an opportunity where people can come from the trenches to the table and seriously say, you know, where what can we do? What's the least worst way to manage this stuff that is a problem for 10 to 100,000 years?
0: The Liberal Party took the, took the decision pretty badly, by the way. The local member for Gray um, said the decision not to appeal was cowardly, gutless and lacking moral fibre. So he's obviously pretty close to the bungalow people. And um, and, and uh, the, the, the leader of the opposition, Dutton, came out and said, this shows you what you'll get if you vote yes in the referendum. So um, they've taken it pretty well.
1: Oh, it was quite extraordinary their response. They, they did... Yeah, you know, Rowan Ramsey's just lost touch with reality. Some of his stuff—he's saying that it's all about native title, which it wasn't. Anyone could have taken the action that Bungler did. It wasn't about native title; it was about apprehended by, apprehension of bias. Um, so he's he's manufacturing and saying now in the region really unhelpful, really inaccurate, and really inflammatory things like you'll have to go and see the bungalow if you want to put a shed on your farm. Like it's just really you know back mm. back in time machine stuff. And you're absolutely right. Even ones that should know better, like Simon Birmingham and that, were in the cheer squad and were saying, you know, oh, I just risk uh, nuclear medicine in Australia and we stand. We stand aside and support people who need nuclear medicine. And that is just such a crock. It has been forever. It was on that day. And on the very day that they were in the house banging on about kitties with cancer and irresponsibility... ANSTO, the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, and we're not on the Christmas card list for each other, (laughs) ANSTO put out a statement and said, we can manage this stuff, not forever, but for a considerable period of time at our site, and this poses no threat at all, no interruption at all to the provision of nuclear medicine in Australia. So that's one of the hopes now, is that we can move away from this scaremongering stuff and actually look at the properties of the waste different ways to manage it, and the most technically appropriate, none of it's good, but the most technically appropriate and secure, and the most culturally and community-backed and accepted approach. Those two prongs of people and technology need to inform our next steps, not just politics, which has failed for 35 years.
0: People and technology, because currently, uh, what through all this, of course, and with AUKUS and the film and everything else, there's a massive push on at the moment, and I think you mentioned to me yesterday the financial review is really pushing it hard for Australia to go into nuclear energy, the, the, the modular so-called reactors, etc. cetera, um, none of which has been proven. But two things, there's that, there's that point before we close, and could you also mention Japan's push at the moment still to put the waste from Fukushima out into the Pacific Ocean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really sad news yesterday. It wasn't unexpected, but it's still deeply sad that the Japanese government has given the all-clear for TEPCO, the operator of the Fukushima plant, to push the release button to start uh, a million tonnes of radioactive wastewater being directly disposed or dumped, piped directly into the Pacific. So here we have... You know, one of the richest nations, one of the most technically sophisticated nations on Earth, it has a tsunami which triggers a meltdown in a reactor and a dozen years later, a dozen years later, the best that they can do to manage waste is to dump it in the ocean. So against this sort of drum banging of um, Peter Dutton and others saying that nuclear is the way forward and Matt Canavan spending every waking moment bagging renewables that exist and promoting nuclear that doesn't, um, the uh, the the myth of like that this is low impact, clean. That this is a safe industry. It's it's writ large. Go and watch a pipe that has elevated levels of tritium and other radioisotopes going into the Pacific, without consultation from Pacific nations, against the wishes of the Pacific Island Forum, China, Korea, etc. This isn't clean. This isn't safe. And it's a it's a great tragedy that this dumping will commence this week and Kevin, just one other thing really specifically, there's two specific Australian connections one is, we have dodged the nuclear bullet to date, largely like commercial civil nuclear power and the like and this should be a stark lesson that that's a good position to be in and we should hold and not have a domestic nuclear option. The other one is that It was a load of Australian uranium confirmed by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, a load of Australian uranium that was in the Fukushima reactor when it melted down. So when you talk about Fukushima wastewater, it started as radioactive rocks in Australia. Um, And we really need to examine that industry, which, as it gets more into its life, rather than becoming more responsible, it's becoming more and more cavalier and cowboy. And we need a good look at the uranium trade. We need to be exiting and turning that off. And we need to learn from fukushima and say we're not going to replicate it here and we need to also listen to the pacific and and look and see what we can do to assist with their very valid concern
0: also even in the articles they're pushing for us to go nuclear ourselves and not nuclear reactors um with the mod the modular ones they say now are much safer and they're much better and they, they don't produce any pollution other than maybe a few thousand years of waste um they they even in those articles themselves they keep saying well it's still being developed so they're talking about something that we haven't even got.
1: Well that's right and they're right then their claims are right they do they are safer they are, do produce less waste and less um, uh, risk because they're all on paper because they're yeah. not producing power. Hmm. you know so what we've got is uh, the coalition in particular that have now embraced nuclear it's, it's gone from letting Matt canavan off the leash and have a little bit of an attack dog run. It's gone from that into embracing nuclear as a key part of its climate and energy platform which is really tragic because it really runs the risk of delaying where we need to be, which is growing power and growing jobs and growing regional economies with renewables. That's the pathway forward. That drops carbon, that grows income, expertise and employment and it's really clear. Um, But this this could confuse this and they are saying that Australia's energy system should be predicated on an energy system that doesn't currently produce commercial electricity or is not in commercial deployment anywhere in the world. So, you know, to say we're the alternative government and our energy plan is bear with us and coming around the corner, maybe, is profoundly irresponsible and also risks a sort of socially just, considered environmentally responsible but rapid transition to renewables, which is what we need. Mm.
0: And when they say clean, it's clean, they seem, to, they seem to assume that waste is not a problem.
1: Yeah, Well, they, they, they say that. They're talking about the one instance in a reactor when there's a chain reaction and a release of heat. There's no carbon release there. There's carbon all beforehand in the mining, mineral processing, transport, manufacture of the facilities, high levels of concrete. There's carbon all after and after is a very long tail of nuclear. Three years of power, 100,000 years of carcinogenic waste. That's a nuclear equation. And they don't factor any of that in. It's an absolutely mischievous, is a generous way to put it, set of arguments and constructions that they, they put up. And clean, they're, they're taking, as you say, no responsibility or accountability of a massive intergenerational waste that no-one has sorted over 70 years of massive amounts of money... So, you know, it's, yeah, the Germans have that saying, no trader cries out bad fish. Well, that's what they're doing. They're promoting with massive adjectives a technology that is unproven and then saying that that's the way forward. It's just—it's simply irresponsible.
0: Dave, you're out of time, unfortunately, but look, thanks for that again. And well, <laughs> There's no doubt we'll talk about it again, but keep the struggle going, brother, and um, and and all power to you.
1: Oh, so long as it's renewable. Good on you Kevin <laughs> okay, thank, thank you Karina.
0: Good to talk. <laughs> thank okay. you Dave. Thanks a lot. Okay Dave Sweeney the Australian Conservation Foundation and next week it's a fourth Wednesday Karina, and I haven't thought about anything but next week. I've just realised there is a fourth Wednesday but uh, we'll have to th- put our thinking caps on. Maybe I'll just
2: go to that rally and leave you high and dry. You can press the buttons yourself <laughs> Kevin.
0: <laughs> well that would mean there'd be nothing that would be dead air for an hour. That'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, thanks for your time again this Morning and um and next week well I don't know what's on next week, we'll work it out by then.
2: We'll work it out uh, by then and yeah. yeah. Stay tuned to three C R. You've been
3: listening to a three C R podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information go to all the